Hello, photography lovers, and welcome to another episode of the Fashion Photography Podcast, the one and only show you can find everything you want and everything you need to know about the fashion photography business. My name is Virginia, I'm your host, and I'm with you every single Wednesday, along with a guest. And every other Friday, I'm answering your questions and giving you some tips and tricks. And I have a very important reminder for you. We're doing a live portfolio review, and it's completely free for all the photography lovers out there. So if you want to enjoy and be part of it, which is very important in order to bring your career to the next level, go to our Facebook group called the Fashion Photography Podcast and find out how to be part of it. But let me tell you about today, because as you probably know, yeah, it's Wednesday, which means that I'm here with a guest and I'm super excited because my guest today is my very first guest coming from Asia. And she's completely amazing, just as her work. And today we'll be talking about the difference between the Asian photography culture and the Western one, because right now she's in New York. And the story behind that is very interesting because she's actually sharing with us bad experience that she had during a photo shoot. And by the way, this bad experience actually turned out a great thing because it gave her the courage to make some great steps towards her dream career. Have you ever asked yourself how much luck do you need in this industry? And is this the main ingredient? If you have ever asked yourself this question, you need to listen to this interview. Hi, I'm Len Chai. I'm a Singaporean photographer and also a director. I work with brands such as SK2, Samsung, Canon, H&M, Uniqlo, and Puma. Okay, perfect. Do you want to tell us when did you start working as a photographer and director? And was it at the same time? So I started shooting around 2009. I actually never thought I would become a photographer. I've always been very into graphic design and fashion design. And I kind of fell into photography because of a course I took in Polytechnic, which is kind of like tertiary education. Mm -hmm. I took a photojournalism course just for a short while. And I was like, hey, you know, like I can see myself doing this. So I started doing an internship with The Straits Times, which is a local newspaper in Singapore. And that internship is eventually what gave me the skills and training I required to work as a fashion photographer later on. I know that right now you're not in Singapore. Yeah, I'm actually based in New York right now. Mm -hmm. So you started this course, you fell in love with photography, obviously. And when was the moment you felt like you're a real photographer now? I mean, to be honest, even now, I don't know if I feel like a real photographer. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's been I'm almost kidding. 10 years. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think people call it imposter syndrome. I think right at the beginning, what really got me into fashion photography is actually my love for fashion. I'm very interested and intrigued by fashion history, by craftsmanship, how, pe how pieces are made and designed. And I think... Fashion photography just happens to be the best way for me to communicate my ideas or my thoughts or the concepts I have in my head. So in some ways, it's not so much about the photography, but more about the ideas that I want to show the world. There was a big turning point for me, which was when I finally had my own studio, I think like maybe four years back, five years back. Having my own studio and just, you know, experimenting with lighting on my own. And I remember a moment on a client shoot one day where I looked at 
my lighting and was like, hey, you know, actually, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Obviously, your clients were thinking like that before you. <laughs> well, thank God, right? <laughs> what was the first client that you had? And how did you overcome this struggle and this stress about your shoot? Do you remember that? And are you stressed right now when you're going for a shoot? Maybe my standards for myself are very high. I do think I'm quite a technical photographer. Going into shoots, like, I approach it very technically, so it doesn't stress me out anymore. But I think there is a greater standard that I always aspire to. And because I'm not at the level where I wish to be, I keep thinking I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. But of course, like working as a photographer, it's definitely, it hasn't been a problem for a while. So the other question you asked, like my first client, um, I believe it might have been a jewelry brand from Singapore. And what happened was that I had a fashion blog at that time, writing about those things I mentioned, the history of fashion that I'm so interested in. And I started posting my photos. And that's actually how they found me and was like, do you want to try shooting a campaign for our jewelry brand? Mm -hmm. I think that was the first shoot. And it was very nerve-wracking, but also super exciting because it was so new. Was the idea coming from you or the client? I think in general, like I'm very lucky I get to art direct almost all of my shoots, even for client shoots. So most of the time, the idea is from me. Awesome. Do you think that this try for perfection is coming from the fact that you're from an Asian country? Possibly. I mean, we all definitely have some kind of like diligence or like desire to be responsible built into the Asian culture, maybe. But I think more than anything else, it's maybe because I'm really ambitious and maybe because I really, really mm -hmm. love what I do. I know everyone has different reasons why they do what they do. But for me, it's not really like money driven. It's really about being able to be as good as I dream of becoming. I know it sounds very idealistic and simple, but it, it really... It does not. <laughs> yeah, that's what drives me. Of course, you have one life. You want it to be absolutely perfect and fulfilled. So why not? We're talking a lot about Singapore, but you're not based there. No, but I just moved here like maybe one month ago. So it's still really fresh for me. If you want to talk about Singapore. Do you first want to tell us where you are right now? Yes, so I'm currently in New York. How did you decide to make such a big step? There's a crazy story that kind of leads into all this. It's a bit long, so bear with me. <laughs> when I was 21, I got the opportunity to shoot Lily Cole, who is, you know, this British supermodel. Mm -hmm. And coming from Singapore, which is such a small country, and being so young at that time, I, I was so convinced that shooting Lily Cole would be my big break. That when I've shot Lily Cole, like, gonna make me into a famous fashion photographer, you know, it's gonna be amazing. So I did the shoot and it was so terrible. I got injured on the shoot. I fell into the sea and scratched up my arm. Oh my God. The camera fell into the water. It was the worst shoot ever. Like the client asked me to walk into the sea and it was like up to my chest. At that point, I was too young and too unprofessional to know how to deal with that situation. Mm -hmm. So after having that shoot and thinking like, oh my God, you know, if I can't shoot a supermodel, what on earth can I photograph? Like I must be such a terrible photographer. So that shoot was what inspired me to start traveling. Right after that, I saved up as much money as I could. And I went to Japan and I lived alone in Japan for about three months. Mm -hmm. And I started um, shooting for like Nylon Japan, Girl Japan, you know, thanks to a lot of editors that were willing to help me out. And then when I came back, I realized that there is some kind of opportunity for me outside Singapore. Like maybe I could do more. So then I packed up and I went to LA after that. 
all this happened across like maybe eight or nine years. But eventually I went to LA because of my pictures being featured on Teen Vogue and mm -hmm. making me feel like, oh, you know, maybe Americans will like my pictures. And also, you know, in Singapore, like English is the first language. So it just felt like a good fit. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. So after going to LA, I was there for three months and like shooting celebrities. I decided to pluck up my courage and I did a spontaneous meeting trip to New York. And I told myself if I could get signed by an American agency in New York, then it's a sign that I'm meant to be in America. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky. This agency called ADB Agency, Angela Dubona, I met them and they were very, very interested in my work. And then they, they signed me like basically on the spot. And that's how I ended up here. Do you think that the fact that you were ready to move actually helped this? Do you think they would have signed with you even if you weren't moving? Oh, I think definitely me telling them like, I, I want to come to America is one reason why agencies even bothered meeting me. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's even possible to get represented if you're not going to be in that country. There's just no point in them investing time in you, I feel. So tell us about Team Vogue. How did this happen? I took part in this contest on Instagram called Girl Gaze Project. I don't know if you know about it. No, tell us. So basically, it's a com not really a competition, more like a program where they would feature female photographers. Teen Vogue worked with them to shortlist some of the photographers to be interviewed for their social media accounts. So I posted a few pictures, put the hashtag, didn't think too much about it, and woke up one day to an email saying, congratulations, like, Team Vogue Whoa. wants to feature you. And with the interview questions and everything, I mean, it happened really quickly, but it was really a very good form of validation and affirmation that, hey, you know, maybe my work is fine. <laughs> <laughs> you said that many editors were willing to help you in Japan? Yeah, I was very lucky. When I went to Japan, I didn't even speak Japanese, which I do now. But at that time, I, I couldn't speak a word. For just three months? Oh, no, I, I, went, to, I went to learn properly after okay. that. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could pick up a language in three months. <laughs> I was very lucky meeting editors that spoke English or meeting Japanese editors who were willing to try and put aside the language difference and inability to communicate to try and work together. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking back, like, that's so insane. Like, I really got very, very, very lucky. What was your approach in order to make them your friend? A friend would help, but if they don't know you at all, you must have some sort of approach. It's true. When I was in Singapore, I noticed... Actually, one reason why I decided to go to Japan first was because when I was in Singapore, I already noticed that a lot of the clients or like magazines that approached me were Japanese. So I thought, hey, you know, maybe my style works for the market. And also, you know, Japan is very safe. So that's why I picked it as my maiden voyage out of Singapore. Mm -hmm. Yukiko, who was at that time one of the editors for Elle Girl Japan, she met me in Singapore during Fashion Week. Just very, very briefly, I think we worked together on like maybe two photos or I just met her. And she recognized me at a party in Japan. It was so crazy. A friend brought me to some, I think, Tommy Hilfiger party. And it was just my first week in Japan. And Yukiko happened to be there. And the crazy part was she recognized me and was like, oh my god, what are you doing here in Japan? And that's kind of how everything started. Okay, while we are on the topic of parties, how important do you think they are for the people in our industry? I would say like maybe five years ago or even ten years ago, I would have said that it's important. It's so important to party. But now I think people's lifestyles have changed. I'm coming to New York, or maybe because I'm older, I just don't feel like partying is as crucial as it used to be. Like in the past, you know, like every magazine editor or stylist or makeup artist or photographer was out. 
and that's how you met people. Yeah. But now it's more effective to send a cold email or to DM people than to go out and party with the hopes of meeting someone. Parties are now in social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. That's interesting. You said that you moved to Japan and you mentioned style. And that's, I think, a very important part because every time when we talk about Asia, we know that the style there is a little bit different. The artistic people in Asia, they are pretty much fit for every part of the world. But I don't think it's the other way around. What's your opinion on that? Do you think that, for example, a European artist can go to Asia and be a successful photographer? Because unfortunately, the world is looking towards the Western world because of things like colonialization and also because Western media is what dominates the news cycle or media cycle everywhere in the world. It's inevitable that Asia is definitely more familiar with Western media or fashion than the Western world is familiar with Asia. And also because of the language differences, right? Like in Asia, there are so many different dominant languages. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's actually very hard for a Western photographer to understand the culture of Asia. As an Asian, I think definitely some part of it is true because there are a lot of things about Asian culture that are highly contextual and are not things that you can learn you know, off Google or can be simply explained. You know, there are things that brought like values that you are raised with or like certain mannerisms that may be considered rude in, in the Western world, but considered polite in Asia. You know, things like that can really add up to a lot. Wow, that's so interesting because I've always thought exactly the opposite. I mean, for me, you're very, very, very different. I'm not quite sure that every European photographer is suitable for your market, for example, because you're people that you need to think about the core of the problem. Even when we talk about advertising, for example, every time you do an advertising sheet, you need to rethink every single part of it. And I love that. It is very interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. Do you find a very big difference between the teams behind the idea in Asia and now in the States, though you're in the States for just three weeks, but still? Even how I have to act during meetings, it's so different. For instance, in Asia, like when you show your work, if you have to talk too much or like say so much about your work, mm -hmm. the person might think like maybe you're not that good. That's why you have to talk so much to supplement your work. But in America, or like, I mean, the Western world is like, why aren't you talking? Like, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what you're thinking. Tell me about the context of your work. That's I find so that so, so funny. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> it's such a simple difference, but it really shows like, so much difference about our worlds. Yeah, because to me, your work needs to speak so loud. And at the same time, you need to explain your work. Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But I think... Particularly in my case, I, I think a lot of my recent work has been very influenced by this very dynamic. Mm -hmm. After going to LA and coming back to Singapore, like now I try and shoot mostly Singaporean models. I try and put more Asian faces in my work. And I know this is something that people talk about a lot, but I really never questioned why growing up, every face I saw on every advertisement was white. I never questioned it, even when I went to Japan, because that was also the norm there. I was just like, oh yeah, cool, you know, like white models are more fashionable or whatever. Do you know the reason why? I do know the reason why. I know this sounds heavy, but I really think that this is a byproduct of colonialism. Mm -hmm. Like you aspire to be white because white is the norm. White is what's considered civilized and advanced because of 
what colonialism instills in countries that have been colonized. And Singapore is also a, used to be a colony of the British, which is why we speak English as our first language. Mm -hmm. And I think precisely because we speak English as our first language that we are way more... Actually, in some ways, I think we're more confused than a lot of other Asian countries because what culture can we truly call our own? Growing up, I watched American TV shows or like British shows, etc. And coming to America, was, I wasn't shocked. <laughs> I was like some kind of diluted, whitewashed American kid. It was really horrifying to realize that even though I came from Asia, how heavily influenced I was by America. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also why, like I mentioned, now I explore my roots so much more. I think in the past, part of me was trying to appeal more to the so-called international market because I wanted to be an international photographer. But now that I'm actually in a different part of the world, I see that for my work to be interesting, it actually has to be more about my history and my heritage and something that no one else can portray. You've obviously given a lot of thought on how to become an international <laughs> photographer. And I was wondering what were the most important points that you can just tell us right now for the people that are in the situation you were. Ultimately, I hope to, I dream of working with Miu Miu someday. And I think that's what influenced my decisions to get out of the country. Because if I stay in Singapore, I would never be discovered by Miu Miu ever. Now that I've done like a few trips, uh, which are all really horrifying experiences, <laughs> um, I think one important thing, the most important thing to know is, first of all, your visa situation. Is it possible for you to work in that country? Do you have a working holiday visa option? I think that's the first thing you got to figure out. And then after that, it's figuring out whatever you can from the internet about safety, about where you can live about very practical concerns like how much money you would need to survive for that time and some backup. I would say a lot of it is very, very, very practical, like how to stay safe, how to not get robbed, how to live comfortably, and how to have a safety net waiting for you back home. Do you need to change something in your style in order to become more recognized when somebody is looking at your photos overseas or something like that? Definitely. I subconsciously curate my portfolio differently depending on which market I'm going to. Mm -hmm. But in my case, there is a very distinct uh, voice already. So no matter how much I change it, to me, it still kind of feels the same vibe. So I don't think it affects me as much as some other photographers I know. What would you call your style? Can we say that it's more Asian or more overseas? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> people in Asia will probably think that my work is westernized. And then when I'm in the Western world, they'll probably think it's very Asian. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought you were going to answer. It's weird, huh? I guess it can't be <laughs> categorized that way. Um, but it's very, very interesting because you're in between. So you definitely see both the good and the bad sides. And I completely agree with you about the white color of the skin, the thing that you mentioned before. Because, for example, I've seen videos of Vogue Japan and Vogue China, and they're all looking for models that are not Asian. So I think the reason why they like to use white girls in their shoots is also because, like I mentioned earlier, the Western world, unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, it's up to you, is, is the center of the fashion industry. That's I think true. let's just put it that way. So I think. For Asian countries and Asian publications, there's definitely a desire to show the viewers, to show the people who are in Asia, like we're international. That's why we use 
white girls. Or that's why our shoots don't look like they're from Asian country. I also feel like it's also a byproduct of colonialism, really. It has made Asia feel like they have to seem westernized, to seem advanced or to seem progressive, which I don't think is necessarily true, but it also took me a very long time to get to this conclusion. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, in order to understand the culture, you need to know so much more than just the obvious things. You need to dive in. And as you said, we're talking about colonization and lots and lots and lots of history. So you yeah. need to be really able to understand the core of it. Mm -hmm. I have a good example. So like, you know, when the Scarlett Johansson uh, controversy was happening mm -hmm. because of her Ghost in the Shell movie. Do you want to uh, tell us a little bit more in case somebody does not know? Scarlett Johansson, she was casted as, I can't remember the main character's name, but she was the main character of Ghost in the Shell, which is like a very popular 90s Japanese anime. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the Western world was so horrified and so outraged. Like, how can you cast a white girl to play the main character of a Japanese film? Like, that's so disrespectful. Give the Japanese people a chance. But here in the Asian world, I don't think people are as angry as the people in the Western world. I think a lot of Japanese women, um, I, I believe I saw that on Twitter, a lot of them were like, you know, I think... She's a good actress, like, what's the problem? We think it's cool. And I think the biggest difference is because in Asia, we consume a lot of media that has Asian faces. We are the majority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't bother us as much because we already have representation in our markets. It's actually the Asian people in Western countries who are not represented. In my country, we have this saying, probably in every country, everybody has it, but we're usually saying... Everybody wants what they does not have. Yeah, yeah. The grass is greener on the other side, yeah, right? Yeah, true. So yeah. I think that's exactly the situation. And since you're my first photographer from this part of the world, a guest in the show, I was wondering, do you think you can describe for the people that are very interested in your culture and being photographers in Asia overall, do you think they need to follow some specifics in their photography? And can you give them some advices? Um, I don't think it's about the photography, really. I think it's more about the working etiquette that mm -hmm. isn't spoken, how you address a client, how you speak to your client, how you treat the people that you work with on set. If you are polite or if you are very demanding, I think that's the main difference. The photography, you know, you can do whatever you want and it will still attract all markets. You attract some people, you won't attract some people. But I really think uh, the key thing is actually your working attitude more than anything else. Do you have any advices here? Mm, yeah, be polite, be respectful, don't be too demanding. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel very different now when you're working in the States? Do you feel like you need to change all these things? I don't really feel that affected yet, but maybe ask me in a year and maybe I'll be a different person. <laughs> it's an arrangement. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk again in a year. Yeah. That, you said in the beginning that you're also working as a director. Mm -hmm. Do you mean a director for moving images or that you're directing photo shoots? Oh, um, no, I, I do direct films as well. Um, I don't do any narrative work, but I have done a number of beauty TV commercials for Asia. Mm -hmm. One of it was an advertisement for skin whitening, mm -hmm. which is something that is, people are very obsessed with in Asia. So I do do moving visuals as well. I also direct music videos. And that's kind of how I got started with directing. 
How exactly did it start? It my boyfriend's in a band. It's a very big cliche, but he is. <laughs>、um, so he's the lead singer of a band, and I directed a music video for them, kind of as like a fun experiment. Oh, you know, like let's see if we can do this. And that one video led to many more music videos, and then eventually the music videos led to TV commercials. So I'm very lucky. You are very lucky. I am. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I know you want. You're looking for like a strategy, but like it's just not there. Ah <laughs>、uh, no, I don't think we're looking for something in particular because for so many episodes, what I can see repeatedly in each and every guest, and also in my life as a photographer, is that sometimes it's all about luck. But if you're not working like crazy, luck cannot help. Some people are luckier than others, but in order to become someone in this industry, you really have to work a lot. Wise words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to do a quote by myself. <laughs> you should interview yourself. <laughs> I should try that. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to listen to that. You know, every other Friday we're doing a podcast when I'm answering questions and giving some tips and tricks. So it's not the same as doing an interview by myself. <laughs> it's something. No, I'll interview you next time. <laughs> I'll think about it. Have to talk to my editor. <laughs> yeah. What part of your photo shoots is you directing your models? Because your poses are very interesting to me. A lot of my shoots, how I plan the shoot is that I draw stick figures of how I want the models to pose.、Mm -hmm. So I usually already know what I want to shoot before I start shooting. Oh, and I think, yeah, and I think like almost all of my shoots, like I direct the models a lot, like、mm -hmm. very, very, very clear and intensive directions. Do you have some tips on directing? Because the people in our Facebook group, the Fashion Photography Podcast, are really into tips of posing and how they need to direct their models. Yeah, I am so glad she's ready to share with us her posing secrets. But this is going to happen in part two of this interview, which you'll be able to hear next Wednesday. But before the next Wednesday, you can go to photographypodcast.net and check out all of our previous podcasts. And if you have some gorgeous new editorials that you would like to show to the world, go to judefashionmagazine.com. And if you're really into fashion, and if you want to be on the top of the latest trends, check out. Moda Addicted Magazine on Instagram. By the way, we have all the links in the show notes. So I was telling you about our latest collaborators, Moda Addicted Magazine. You can take a look at their latest issue, where actually you can also find some of my work. But enough endorsement, I think. <laughs> Let me tell you that this Friday I'll be waiting for you here, and I want to say big thank you for being with us today. In the show notes, you can also find my guest's Instagram account, and you can follow her because she's absolutely amazing, and she totally deserves it. And I bet you want to be updated with her work. So check out the show notes and come back again for another episode on Friday. <laughs>